Hi, this is Scott Thompson. Welcome to the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. Feel free to subscribe. Coming up on today's show, will the LRT in Hamilton be resurrected? And what about Supercrawl? The NBA, including the Raptors, protesting what has happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, involving the shooting of Jacob Blake. Will it make a difference this time? Relations with Canada and China are frosty, to say the least. China says if it wants any movement against the two Michaels, we must act first. It's all coming up on the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Today on the Scott Thompson Show on 900 CHML. I'm Curtis Thompson, Scott's son. Did you know on a windy day your mask can be used as a sail to bike uphill? No way! Welcome to the Scott Thompson Home Show. Here's Scott Thompson! I think the boy got lots of sleep last night. Good afternoon. It is 900 CHML. I'm Scott Thompson. Will Erskine back at the station, keeping the Scott Thompson Home Show on the air. Week 24 of that. Feel free to jump into the show, into the con- into the conversation. Uh, plug your nose and jump in with both feet. We would love to hear from you. Uh, visit the website. Send us a note, Scott Thompson at 900CHML.com. Also, don't forget Facebook and Twitter. You will find the podcast edition of the commentary waiting for you there as well. All right. We talked the other day about LRT possibly being resurrected. Leuna now jumping on board and uh, being a financial partner in this possibly. What is the stand? Uh, do you think this will move forward? Let's bring in Marvin Ryder, business professor to Group School of Business, McMaster University. Marvin, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. I'm great, thank you, and glad to be with you. So uh, another, uh, I don't know if this part two, part three, part four of the LRT uh, discussion. What are your thoughts on this new proposal? Do you think it has legs? Well, first, uh, to help set this up, I think you know that Hamilton is nicknamed the ambitious city. But when it comes to the LRT, we're the exhausted city. I don't think this is a step two or three or four. It's step 73. And and really, I think most people are suffering from exhaustion on LRT. Now, to remind people where we stand, back in the spring, early spring, there was a task force commissioned to report back to the province with some recommendations on how to spend a billion, that's with a B, a billion dollars on transit. They met, they came up with their report, and it was submitted in early March, just at the start of the COVID pandemic. Basically, as what we understand, although it's not been released to the public, they said uh, they still believe in LRT, but if it's necessary, scale it back. Don't do 14 kilometers, do 10 or 11 Uh, And they said, if you don't like that, then we like bus rapid transit. And again, for people to be clear about this, that doesn't simply mean more buses on the road, but dedicated bus lanes that would quickly move people across the city. They would always have the bus would always have the right of way. Well, we get into COVID and all of this seems to disappear. And I think there's a number of people who said this, this isn't good that it's just disappeared. We need to hear something from the province. What is it you want to do? Especially now that we're starting to emerge from COVID, conceivably spending a billion dollars on either the LRT or bus rapid transit would be a nice thing to do to get Hamilton's economy restarted in the post-age of COVID. So on Tuesday, our good friends at Leuna, that's the Labor's International Union of North America, Um, came forward with a proposal and said, look, if your problem is financing, if you think that this has gotten too expensive and and you just don't think, province, that you can afford to do this on your own, we recommend a blend. First, step one, talk to the federal government. 
they collect this lovely thing called the carbon tax, and the whole idea of the carbon tax is that it's to be targeted for projects that could reduce carbon in the environment, and rapid transit, either bus rapid transit or LRT, would be a logical spend on that. So, you know, you put in a billion, they put in a billion, suddenly this thing looks a little better. And if you're still if you still don't think you've got enough money to do it, then let's try to engage the private sector. And so their suggestions were that I think you know the way the LRT was planned. There was going to be a series of hubs. This is where the, the LRT would stop. Well, maybe you'd talk to some developers who want to build a condo building there or an apartment building, have them contribute in some way, and see if you can find some way forward through all of this. Today in the Hamilton paper, uh, God bless them, the spectator decided they would poll councillors to see how they feel. And I mentioned this business about being the exhausted city. You can tell the councillors themselves are exhausted talking about this. And it's not clear that a majority of people are are really interested in going back through that same debate one more time. Uh, Some are, I think, more interested in exploring bus rapid transit but the feeling is that maybe the LRT is the project that's just too big and maybe the one that's going to get away. Uh, is, 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 uh, if this does start up again, if this is all uh, restarted, does council have to start from the beginning or do we just assume like it has been, they voted on this a bazillion times, it's already been approved, let's just keep moving. But if, on the other hand, if this new deal with Leuna ends up moving forward, is this day one all over again for council? Well, a couple of things. I think what, uh, if I'm following the councillors correctly, they said we are not taking the lead on this. We're not going to go back cap in hand and please uh, yeah. build us an LRT. They're going to say first we want to hear what the province wants to do, and I think that's a good starting point. You know, uh, uh, today's Doug Ford might not be the same Doug Ford of eight months ago. He might be in a different spot now with COVID and looking for regional projects to restart the economy. So. If the province came out and said, yeah, yeah, I think this is something we want to do, does the city have to get back on board? Well, yes, for a couple of reasons. Uh, all the staff who had been hired to deal with LRT have been let go, and they have gone to the wind, so we need to reassemble them. Also, if the province says we're interested in LRT, but we're making some changes, maybe the route's different or maybe the length is different or something, then you've got to go back to those drawings and, and make some changes that way. But I think correctly, the council says uh, we're going to let the province go first. I should note one more thing, Scott. You know that the Hamilton City Council has also been, I guess I'll use the word challenged, to consider a 2026 bid for the Commonwealth Games. Originally, they were interested in the 2030 Games because that would be the centennial of the Games being in Hamilton. But the the um, organizers have suggested a 2026 bid. I'm not clear if LRT starts to be resurrected that you could do both. In other words, the shovels would not go into the ground until some point in 2021 or maybe 2022 to have the LRT completed, uh, or it would be absolutely necessary to have the LRT completed before Commonwealth Games. And I, I'm a little worried about that timeline. So I think if this starts to come back, the, the council is going to have to say it's either or. I don't think they can have both. Uh, you talked earlier about a scaled-back version of this. How much can you keep scaling this project back and still make it viable? Well, I, I'm going to give you a bit of more philosophical answer here. I, obviously, I'm not in the details. We're, we're just spitballing here. Neither of us are inside the government or other things like this. Mm-hmm. But one of the key things was that LRT was planned to go down on uh, King Street, 
until it got to the 403. And then a new bridge was going to be built sort of diagonally across the 403 to then move the LRT onto Main Street, and then it would run down Main Street to McMaster University. Conceivably, if you just left it on Main Street all the way along, you might not reinforce the one. Obviously, again, some land has been acquired. You'd have to acquire some different land. But, you know, there are some routing changes that might not affect things that much. The big question to me is the, the loop, we'll call it, that was to run down James Street uh, to connect you to the new GO Center that was built not far from Leuna Station um, that is really terribly underutilized. Three trains in the morning, three trains yeah. at night. But it was built to be this lovely go hub but you wouldn't have LRT and then make people walk 10 blocks or 12 blocks to a to a go station so figuring that part out as well how can you connect it what would be the effective way I, those are a couple of questions that I think could be addressed and allow the project to be reduced in size and yet not be reduced in functionality do you think the chances are greater for this project now in a covid-19 world <laughs> well i'm going to say yes because uh, all levels of government are, are saying we need to restart the economy. Now, there's lots of good signals out there. Next Friday, we're going to get the employment data for August, and I'm going to go out on a limb now and say I think unemployment will have fallen below 10%. It'll be another good month because we've reopened more. We saw the retail sales numbers for June. We've totally bounced back to where we were in February. So much of the economy is coming back, but it's still... You know, it's going to be a slow grind to get that last 2, 3, 4% that you need. And so there probably will be some stimulus spending. Therefore, something for Hamilton makes sense. I just don't know if LRT will be the route or whether it'll be BRT, but I wouldn't be surprised to see some transit project greenlit before the end of the year as a way to recover from COVID. Marvin Ryder has been with us, business professor at a group school of business, McMaster University, LRT, and Leuna's involvement in it. Will it push it over the hump? Marvin, as always, thanks for the time. Much appreciated. Be well. Glad to be with you today. Supercrawl. It lives. Well, sort of a scaled-down version. The big festival had to be canceled, but... It is there, sort of, uh, in, in, in various forms, a lot smaller, but the spirit is still alive. Tim Potisic is with us, co-owner of Sonic Onion and organizer of Supercrawl. I know you can't tell us a lot here, Tim, but it's great to have you, and I hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm great. Thank you. Yeah. So I guess the mayor kind of let this out of the bag before all the T's were crossed and I's were dotted, so I know you can't tell us too much about a lineup, but what can you tell us? <laughs> Um, well, I certainly can tell you what he told you. Um, so, uh, yeah, when he was mentioning to the task force, I was told he was going to tell the task force. I didn't realize there'd be press um, there uh, when it came up. I just thought it was a private-ish part of private meeting. But anyway, uh, none, nonetheless, it's great that it's out there. Um, it's, at the moment, um, five shows on one weekend, September 25th, 26th, and 27th. Um and 25th will be a single show, 26 and 27 on the weekend. There'll be a matinee show in the afternoon and the evening show. Um, and we're working with a bunch of local bands and some non-local bands to sell 100 socially distanced tickets to each show, um, trying to make the tickets as reasonably priced as possible. Um, they'll go on sale next week. We're going to announce their lineup on Thursday. The lineup's done. I just, we're crossing the T's and dot in the eyes, I guess, just like you said, just to make sure everything is good. But we're we're good to go. It's booked. Um, want to announce it? So it's a small, you know, 
teaser. Um, some of the bands were playing Supercrawl, some of them weren't, some of them have played in the past. So it'll be a fun, you know, weekend of shows on the roof of the parkade. Uh, beside the Hamilton City Center and the library and the market. Um, I love this floor. idea. This is a great idea. Yeah, it's funny. I had proposed doing this years ago to the city, um, and uh, they squashed it. I mean, mind you, we wanted to do 1,000 to 2,000 people up there. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so this is a different situation completely. So um, what about yeah. what about those that are down below and not actually up top, the hundred or so that are lucky enough to get in? But you're you're certainly going to see or hear this, are you not? You won't see it, and you likely will not hear it. I mean, really? the reality is you're going to hear it, like you know, in Beasley Park, maybe, right, <laughs> right. But like, not if you're standing right beside the parkade, you probably won't wouldn't hear anything. So. Right. You know, this way we can isolate the crowd. We can just put 100 people up there. There won't be people milling about because that was one of the issues that, um, you know, the city has had with doing shows in parks is that you can't really control people milling around the fencing and all that kind of stuff, right? So, um, yeah, you you might not even know what's happening up there, to be honest. Like, it's not a lot of people. um, So they'll be up up and there for the show and then gone and out before you know it. <clears throat> so we're pretty excited. Um, we have more to come for sure. There's going to be another press release the week after next uh, outlining um, a bunch of other things that we're going to do as far as um, live concerts go and streaming concerts. Um, there's some information that's going to be coming out with respect to putting some art installations on the street for on James Street, um, you know, during and leaving them there for a few months so that people can wander past them at their own free socially distanced will. Um, and, uh, yeah, we want to try to activate and do as many things and work with as many components of the festival as we, as we have in the past. And, you know, we are limited of course, but we're trying to do everything we can. We want to lo- work with local business. So we'll have some vendor booths at all the shows that we're going to be doing from here until the end of the year. But we do have planned, uh, another large set of, events and things that are going to happen from October through to March. Now, what about a virtual element? Is there an online element to this at all? Yeah, we will be streaming all of the events. Perfect. Yeah. So uh, nothing right now that you can finalize, but when, can, when, when are you going to officially announce all of this? We announce uh, the tickets will go on sale. We're announcing all of those um, our artists for that weekend on Thursday, next Thursday, September 3rd. All right, one week from today, uh, all the finals, uh, the official announcement of uh, Supercrawl, a uh, scaled-down version of, including uh, some really innovative programming on uh, the top of the parkade, which is a great idea. Tim Potisic's been with his co-owner, Sonic Onion, organizer of Supercrawl. Uh, a week today, we will find out more. Tim, thanks so much for the time. Good luck with all this. Thank you very much. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. The Scott Thompson Home Show. We are talking about uh, the shooting of Jacob Blake and sports' reaction to that. Obviously, the NBA canceling games yesterday uh, announced that the Raptors will not play today. However, ESPN is uh, saying that the playoffs will continue uh, after that. Let's bring in Leanna Osei, the Black Canadian Coaches Association, also head coach for ex-women basketball at St. Francis Xavier University. Leanna, thank you so much for the time. Hope you're doing well. Thanks so much for having me on, Scott. I'm I'm uh, I'm very honored to be on this call. 
Oh, my goodness. It's great to have you here. Uh, your thoughts on what we're seeing uh, happen, transpire in the NBA. What can the NBA owners do? What should they be doing? I think, uh, I think more than anything, uh, we need to see them speak up more and more. And uh, we need to see them uh, rally beside uh, the professional student, uh, the professional professional athletes that are advocating for real change. Um, I mean, I think from a structural standpoint, there's, I mean, there's a lot of opportunity and, and room for growth. But I think the here and now is really about not being silent. Uh, and so I know, you know, Jeannie Buss with the Lakers uh, recently kind of put out a statement uh, in support of the Lakers yesterday, and Milwaukee Bucks uh, ownership did as well. I think it just needs to be a consensus across. Uh, our sport platforms that everyone is on the same page that something's got to be done how concerned are you because again we we talked about this after uh the tragic death of george floyd then things seemed to subside for a while and now here we have another situation with the shooting of jacob blake uh the playoffs postponed for a bit and then they resume are you concerned this falls out of people's minds that 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 again like george floyd this will subside or do you feel momentum gained here I definitely feel like the momentum's there. I think the most disheartening thing out of all all of this is, you know, for Jacob Blake to get shot seven times in his back, I mean, you can't see an ignorance, not at this point. We're about seven months in into a mass movement uh, like none ever before. You know, I'm 30 years old. This is, this is the most uh, advocacy I've seen on a large scale that's in mass media. Um, but, you know, t- to me and to many people, uh, it's, it, it's, you know, um, people trying to send a message and it's the wrong one. Um, and so I think the momentum is there. Um, I love to see our Canadians specifically really stepping up to the cause. You know, we, we got 22 Canadians in the NBA and, and five in the WNBA that have been doing a great job using their platform. Um, obviously soccer, uh, baseball, we, we've kind of seen that all across the board uh, for most sports, not all. Um, but, you know, it's just, that's what, that's what is so um you know, just egregious is that you cannot see an ignorance and that you didn't know. Uh, and so now it begs the question, why are we still having these exact same issues? You know, um, we actually thought, yeah, there was a lot of momentum. Um, you know, the approval of the um, the racial justice statements and the impact words on the back of, uh, of jerseys have been very important. Uh, the press releases, um, keeping Brianna Tyler's Brianna Taylor's name uh, in the media, and then we have an incident like this, and it's almost like you take one step forward and and two and three more steps back, right? And now everybody's reliving uh, that trauma again. You talked about, Leanna, how you've never seen anything like this in your time on the planet. What's different this time? I think what's different is that um, the the advocacy through allyship is, uh, is at a level like none other. Uh, and I think it's because we're at this point in time where we've had, you know, so many great affirmative action initiatives um, across, you know, North America in terms of gender equity, in terms of transgender inclusion. And so naturally, I just think we're at a, a space now where everyone's like, hey, we need to educate ourselves because there are so many marginalized groups. Uh, there's so many underrepresented groups. And so, you know, let's let's do better. Let's be more. Uh, and I love the fact that sport uh, which we know this has transcended long before my time, but sport is being used as that avenue for so much change. What can pro athletes do? Because, again, many have said, okay, uh, now this is done, uh, then what? Are we expecting too much from our athletes? Like, my goodness, these people aren't politicians. They've gone up and, and stood on their platform and, and let their feelings be known. Is it now up to society 
to make those changes? Are we asking too much of athletes? It's a, it's such a challenging, uh, you know, it's a, it's a challenging concept. And even the notion of really the, the hard work and the laborious work being done by black people, like that's something that, you know, has, has really, it's always been a, a, a topic of, of contention there is, um, you know, it is our athletes that are doing a lot more. And LeBron James recently said, uh, you know, we need owners to step up. Uh, we need we need the NHL to step up. It can't just fall on the shoulders of black people. And so I think our, our athletes, uh, they are taking on a, a huge mental toll for sure. Uh, there's extra activities that they're doing around just playing their games. But that's the thing is they're people first and they're, they're athletes second. And so we, we have to remember that. And um, I think they're looking at this as, as really being a part of something special. And it's a, it's a movement. You know, it's not a moment. And so I think that they're doing all the right things. Um, I love that our Canadians um, are really stepping up. And, and you know, we're, we're, we're also, you know, trying to make sure that we understand that this is a North American issue. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's not just the U.S., it's in Canada as well. And so I think they are doing a lot, yes. Uh, but, I, but I do believe uh, for us to get to a point where we're in this return to play phase, um, they are doing the right thing by keeping that message at, at, the, at, the, at the front of things. Um, I think the decision to boycott the games um, was a great one. And I think we're at the height where everyone, you know, has, you know, we begin to fall into almost a, a sort of routine. We know that, you know, back-to-back-to-back games and sports are coming on and, and you know, attention's at an all-time high. And so I really agree with the decision to boycott the games. Um, you know, and I, I, I love sports. I love my basketball Um you know, but but at this point, what more can we do? Uh, and so I think, you know, this is just another wheel in the turnpike for us. Do you feel more support outside the black community? How do you explain that now? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I think the biggest the biggest thing is, is um, you know, a lot of people at a time where we're socially distanced, they're willing to use the platforms that they have to speak out against the injustices. And that's what we need to see. That That really is... Um, you know, work in action as it relates to, you know, not being able to do things physically. And so I think just being able to use their personal platforms and not maybe hide behind different alias or or maybe take what some would consider the the quote-unquote politically correct correct role. I mean, this is a, it's a public health crisis. Uh, You know, the Canadian federal government has stated as much. And so um, we need to ensure that this stays at the front. And um, I don't think that this happens without that allyship um, and, and people of, of racial minorities and non-racialized minorities working together. Leanna Ose has been with us, the Black Canadian Coaches Association, also head coach for ex-women basketball, St. Francis, uh, Francis Xavier University. Leanna, thanks so much for the time and insight. Much appreciated. Be well. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. China and Canada relations continue to be frosty. We know that the uh, Canada-China committee that was set up uh, to discuss uh, our policy in China and the two Michaels and the Huawei CFO detention, all this sort of thing, uh, has all fallen by the wayside uh, with the prorogation of government and hoping that uh, all of that gets back uh, uh, on schedule once uh, September 23rd passes and the throne speech uh, is delivered. 
but at this point, uh, that is on hold. However, uh, still lots of chatter floating around in regard to uh, relations with Canada and China. Uh, China says it remains firm on the detention of two, new, uh, two uh, Canadians, the two Michaels that are being held there. Uh, this is after uh, the two foreign ministers uh, have met very recently. So uh, to talk more about all of this, let's bring in Ben Roswell, president of the Canadian International Council and is with us now. Ben, thank you for the time. Hope you're doing well. Thank you very much. Yeah, happy to be on the show. So uh, is there a chance, uh, you know, China says if Canada wants any movement on these cases regarding the two Michaels, that they must act first. Is that a direct reference to the Huawei CFO? Uh, they should know at this point that that's uh, not going to happen. We're a rule of law country. And I think if anything, and, uh, we've demonstrated that over 627 days of uh, sticking by the letter of the law in uh, honoring our extradition treaty. Um, so I, I think the ball is actually in China's court. They're the ones that are breaking um, international law in uh, de- in detaining these uh, Canadians in this way, and and even more now uh, withholding consular uh, services from them. The uh, the news, of course, in uh, the Globe and Mail and elsewhere this morning was that. Um, Minister Champagne may have convinced the Chinese to resume visits to the uh, the detainees. Um, I suppose, you know, for looking for grounds for optimism, uh, it's natural to make something of that. But that's an obligation that the Chinese have under their own treaties that they've signed. It's uh, a matter of just a matter of international law that detainees are allowed visits. So. You know, if they China considers that a concession, that they'll stop breaking international law, I think that shows us just how far we have to go before they'll honor the uh, the obligations that they have to release mm-hmm. Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig. Help us uh, keep all this, put all this in perspective. What would a meeting be like between these foreign ministers? Would it be cordial? Would there be plenty of tension? What's it like? I think it, this is where the individual style of a foreign minister can make all of the difference. And um, I do think this might be a strong point of Francois-Philippe uh, Champagne because he is, uh, he's got a, a very effective interpersonal style. But the default, I think, would be that it would be extraordinarily tense. Um, you've got a, a Chinese foreign minister who knows that his boss, Xi Jinping, is using this case uh, in order to humiliate uh, a major world power. Uh, of Canada, and that it's um, using it to show its new aggressive posture uh, in international affairs. And so the foreign minister of China probably has very little wiggle room on this. This is a one-man dictatorship in in China. It's evolved from the sort of party dictatorship of the Hu Jintao or the previous era, the Deng Xiaoping uh, era, to being a, a one-man dictatorship. And so the foreign minister really doesn't have very much influence in that relative to Xi Jinping. And then on um, the part of the uh, Canadian foreign minister, you know, we're a democracy. We respect the rule of law. So there's very little that can be done to interfere with the judicial process without really undermining the character of, of Canada as a, uh, as, a, as a democracy that respects the rule of law. So given that the two people in this conversation have very little room for maneuver, you would expect a lot of tension. Now, as I say, I think Minister Champagne's actually got quite a lot of charm, and he's very effective in interpersonal relations, and that can help to thaw the ice. You're not going to see a breakthrough in one single conversation, 
but over the series of several conversations, there might be enough uh, common ground built um, that perhaps eventually that foreign minister might make an appeal to Xi Jinping to change his mind. I certainly hope there are people within the Chinese government that are communicating effectively to their supreme leader uh, the tremendous damage that this is that the that the management of this case is doing to China's national interests, and hopefully over time, uh, some sense will prevail in the Chinese side in this very damaging uh, dispute with uh, with Canada. That is exactly my my next question. Does re- does China realize that the positive image that it did have just a few years ago, uh, in regard to trade and, and China being the golden goose and such, and that it has lost a tremendous amount of ground since then? Um, do they realize that, or is their foreign minister again, as you said, one man show? That information is not even getting to the president. Yeah, you know, I don't know if um, Xi Jinping really has um, taken stock of that. Uh, you know, given that this is a, a dictatorship, um, the interest of the dictator, of the, of, the, of the leader, and the interest of the nation are not necessarily going to be in line with one another. For all of their faults, one thing that democracies have is a sort of correction mechanism where if a leader gets it wrong and acts in a way that's not in the national interest, eventually there'll be some comeuppance. That's not uh, a feature of the Chinese system. Xi Jinping can run his country into the ground and he will remain po- in power because of the, uh, just the the political system that they have. I mean, under his leadership already, um, the economic miracle of China over the last 40 years of you know, major growth year on year has come to an end. Um, he will not have to answer to that before the voters. Under his leadership, uh, China has gone from a sort of aspiring world power to a certainly a world power, but one that is feared and resented by a great majority of the countries in the world and where you're starting to see some alliance-building behavior, incipient alliance-building behavior to constrain Chinese power, whereas many countries were really quite uh, open to China um, becoming a, a more uh, prominent global player. Now you, they've defined their national interests in a way that's directly inimical to Canadian interests and to the interests of many of their of their neighbors, and so, um, you know, Xi Jinping, I don't think, is actually acting in the national interests of uh, of China. Are they so interwound with the West's economy now that they just don't care about this? Uh, you, you know, the image, whether their their uh, their status in the world has dropped or not, is that because they've become so successful in su- in such a short period of time they don't feel they can be stopped at this point? Well, I, su- I suppose I'd question the who who we're talking about when we're saying they. We're saying he, the the, leader the president, yep. Um, it's pretty clear he doesn't he doesn't really care. Um, but this is a big, important country with a complex government, and there may be other people in the Chinese government that do care about the long-term interests of, uh, of China and its capacity to get its way through cooperation instead of through intimidation uh, of others, and also the the kind of relationships that it needs with trading partners and investment partners that will secure its long-term prosperity. Um, and I would hope that there is going to, over time, be some kind of course correction. As I think I've mentioned in previous interviews here, there is a pattern of China picking on 
individual countries. Uh, sometimes over detainees, they'll arrest the national of a country if that country speaks up too much on human rights and use that to kind of shut up that other country, whether it's Sweden over the Nobel Prize that was uh, awarded in 2010. Uh, it's happened with Australia a few times. Now, there is a relatively stable pattern there of countries that China doesn't like being kept in the doghouse for about two years. We're a year and a half into this with the two Michaels, and it might be that once we get past that two-year point, the uh, calculation of the Chinese might be that they've got whatever they wanted to get out of putting Canada in the doghouse, that this is, after all, the 10th largest economy in the world, a country that's very deeply embedded in the alliances and the institutions of the rules-based international order, um, that it's losing some credibility with other countries by its irrational punishment of Canada, and that it needs Canada for other files. And so at, at some point, they might just decide to release Canada from the doghouse, uh, even if we do stick to our principles and honor the rule of law in the way that we have been doing these last 18 months. All right. Uh, we, we certainly know uh, about the detention of the Huawei CFO in Vancouver, uh, her legal team uh, getting into court whenever they can to try to to, to move their case forward. Uh, the federal court has blocked their request to release confidential documents. How does that does that any have any bearing on the case at this point? Well, it's a, a victory, I think, for integrity of the Canadian intelligence uh, and judicial systems that uh, we've been able to protect the information that our state uses for national security uh, purposes. Uh, the judgment was that that's not necessary, not uh, for Meng Wanzhou to have her rights respected in the extradition hearing. Um, I mean, we should point out that one of the reasons that this has dragged on for so long is that uh, Meng Wanzhou's legal team has has chosen to challenge right. Uh, has to use every single legal recourse to to prevent the extradition uh, from happening. So, you know, they're really in charge of the timing here. Um, as soon as the extradition is allowed to go ahead uh, and Meng Wanzhou faces her accusers in the United States, um, then Canada will be, uh, will be out of it. So I'm, I'm glad that we're maintaining the integrity of the intelligence uh, system and maintaining the distance between the judicial system and the intelligence system. And the sooner that the Meng Wanzhou team realize that they're not going to win this case, uh, the sooner that our two countries can move on. So are, uh, your feeling is that they're not going to win the case? The fact that they've lost these challenges up until now, what does that say about the chances of her extradition? I'm not a legal expert, uh, but what I have seen is that the pattern of decisions that have come up in this case uh, have been in favor of uh, extradition because we're a rule of law country. There's many ways to challenge that. There's many appeals that are open, and uh, the Meng Wanzhou team has been availing themselves of all of those. Um, but you may remember there have been a few decisions in the past where uh, Meng's team was really quite confident that they might make some headway. There was one right. big smiling photo that they released right before one uh, one interim decision uh, they lost that. They seem to have misjudged and uh, misunderstood their chances in this case time and time again. How could they have made such a um, such a poor call? How could they How could they have missed that? 
Well, there are. I mean, that that really does that really does say that they don't have a grasp of what they're dealing with here. That they, well, they think they can bully their way through. Like you know, good lawyers that are going to keep fighting right. the fight as long as their client wants them to uh, to to fight. They're working with a, a weekend, but their their job as lawyers is to make the best of their uh, of right. their weekend. I think really it's a it's the issue of the Chinese state um, pressing for this. Um, I think self defeating legal strategy um, that uh, they're, the Chinese state is sort of dragging this on by uh, insisting on jumping through every single opportunity for recourse that's provided by the Canadian uh, Canadian legal system. So, so Ben, if this... Know, this is really all being driven by... The timing in this is all being driven by Beijing. It's not, it's not in Kansas' hands. So say this does go through and she is extradited. What are the days after that going to be like? Once appeals are exhausted, everything, and she's on her way, how is China going to? How is China going to react to that? You know, they've already thrown lots uh, of pain our way, um, so I'm sure there's going to be some more pain. Um, does that become the? Does it now become the United States' problem and not Canada's? Oh, I'm sure they'll continue to punish us. You know, there's that Chinese expression. Uh, I'm translating very loosely here. Uh, to scare the monkey, wring the chicken's neck. Yeah. Uh, so Canada's a chicken. Uh, they don't really care what the chicken thinks. They care what the monkey thinks. So they're going to keep continue applying pain to us in order to send a message to uh, to others. So I, I do think we should anticipate future uh, boycotts of Canadian products, bogus like health claims about what kind of agricultural product they're trying to keep uh, keep out. Um, you know denying us uh, essential vaccines or treatments for COVID-19. We saw a little bit of this last week where the Chinese bureaucrats blocked the shipment of some essential uh, equipment to, uh, to Canada. We're going to continue to be punished in, uh, in one way or the other. Um, and I think we just have to brace that, that that's just the nature of the international system these days, that we've got a renegade world power that's, throwing its weight around and uh, violating international law left, right, and center. And they will continue to do so until they're met with a countervailing force. Ben, any idea what will or or what will trigger uh, China finally realizing that it has overstepped its, its bounds here and that there's the majority of the world is not happy with them, especially in the wake of, of COVID-19? What will it take for them to get that message? Well, it might take a while. Uh, ultimately, my contention is that they're losing geopolitical status in this uh, the way that they're managing this case. Um, that is somewhat subjective. Um, the sense of whether they're advancing or diminishing their power in this. Um, but as we see more alliance building behavior with organizations like the Quad, which is the United States, Australia, Japan, and India that are starting to coordinate their responses relative to to China. Um, if Canada joins that, as I certainly think is worth looking at, if you see other liberal democracies around the world uh, joining forces to directly counteract Chinese action, they should tally up in pretty concrete terms the cost of their uh, irrational punishment of Canada in the affair of Mangwanzhou. 
Ben Roswell has been with us, President, Canadian International Council. China and Canada relations continue to be frosty. China says if Canada wants any movement in the case of the two Michaels, they must act first. Ben, thank you for the time and insight as always. Be well. All right. Thank you. You're listening to the Scott Thompson Show podcast on 900 CHML. Honey, let me back in the house. I'm just modeling my new brocchini. What's the problem? I don't know. Honey, it's just a brocchini. Let me in. It's a... All right. Uh, would you go out and buy yourself a brocchini, bros? Would you? What is exactly a brocchini? I, I guess uh, it's radio, so i got to describe it to you. Uh, but basically, basically, imagine a one-piece bathing suit, uh, but instead of having like a woman's one-piece bathing suit, and instead of having a strap over each shoulder, imagine it just going over one. Kind of like a Fred Flintstone bathing suit, or even just suit for that matter. Uh, that is the Brocchini, and that is uh, the brainchild of two guys from London initially. Ta- uh, and joining us now, co-founder of Brocchini, is Taylor Field. Taylor, thanks for the time. I hope you're doing well. Hey, Scott. How's it going? I'm doing great. So uh, tell us uh, what led to the uh, the development of the Brocchini. And, and I don't know if I did it justice in describing it. How would you describe it, Taylor? Uh, you, I thought you did pretty well. I, I would say it's a male, it's a revolutionary male bathing suit. That is a Speedo-shaped cut on the bottom with a one-sided shoulder strap on the top. And how did this come about? Yeah, so... Chad and I started going on lots of bachelor parties through our 20s, and with our friend group, each bachelor party got consecutively crazier and crazier in terms of costumes, and eventually everybody was just wearing uh, Speedo bathing suits, and we found that got boring, and so Chad and I wanted to surprise our friends with something new, and the Brokini was born. So how did you make the first one for example, like for this, for, for, for the bachelor party? I, I mean, I'm guessing you didn't go out and, and, you know, spend all the money on a prototype. What did the initial one look like? The original mock-up was made from some fabric that I got at Fabricland and the uh, stitching prowess of my mother-in-law. <laughs> That's, so how long has the Brocchini been around before it's got to this stage? Uh, the the brocchini that as you see it today um, was in, has been in development since about January or maybe just before that, um, so ten months ish, and um, we just launched the company like three weeks ago. So this was obviously a concept long before COVID nineteen. Oh yeah, yep. We it's been it's been something that we've wanted to work on, but we both have real jobs, and I say that knowing that this is not a real job, and. Um, We've been working on it, but COVID gave us an opportunity to finish things up, and we launched. So what do you do in real life, Taylor? And I should also say it's you and Chad Sasko that are that are behind this. What, what do the two of you do? Yeah, I work in healthcare management, and Chad's a digital nomad. He does website design and other things like that. So, uh, so you've got this concept, and and in the back of your, now in the back of your mind, were you did you always want to take it to this level, or was it during COVID that you thought this is the time to launch? Like, it just seems odd to do this during a pandemic. Definitely not an ideal time to launch a new small business, um, and really, we went into it with no expectations. We thought, who else in the world would be crazy enough to wear these things in public like we do? Um, we thought that we might end up having to just give all of our inventory to away to our friends, but it turns out that lots of people love them. 
So how? what put this over the edge? Tell us the process of how this all worked and, and how you got to where you are. Give us a timeline, basically. Yeah, so like I said, we launched three weeks ago, and in those first few weeks, we had like five sales, and it was just to our friends who were trying to be supportive and nice. Um, and then earlier this week, we got on to BlogTO, and it really took off from there. So thanks to them. And we've been, and now we're just everywhere. Um, and it's been a crazy few days for us. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, we definitely did not expect this, um, but we're trying to enjoy the ride and make some people laugh on the way. Why, why do you think that this is working? And do you think the pandemic has helped you? It, it may have. I mean, we've, there's a lot of sad news in the world right now. And this is just something that's light and funny and hopefully people can laugh at. And even if it's something they hate, they might get a, a laugh out of how, how silly we are. And we're happy with that. So talk a little bit about that feedback, because, you know, I understand some are saying, you know, we're in the middle of a pandemic here and here you guys are goofing off. Like, uh, what has the reaction been? Yeah, we've definitely been um, getting feedback positive and very negative. Chad and I have, on the few spare moments that we've had, we like to have a laugh at some of the, the roasting that we're getting online. Uh, we, we think it's just hilarious, people saying, why would you ever invent this? And now we have to worry more about the spread of brokinis than we do of COVID. And we just, <laughs> we just think it's so funny. Oh, man. Well, clearly people have way too much time on their hands during a pandemic. Um, are you getting more negative than positive? Uh, it's tough to say. Uh, we certainly haven't been able to keep up with everything, but on the opposite side of the negative, we've got we've gotten people saying that this is a bathing suit they've been waiting for for their whole life. Um, so it's been really fun on both sides for us. We have pretty thick skin, and if people don't like it, that that's great. Hopefully, they they can laugh at how stupid we are. What do your friends and family say about this? <laughs> Our, my friends love it. They they already they've seen the brokini for a while. They knew about it. They're they're just really excited for us. Um, my parents are, I think, oddly proud. I don't think that they thought that this would be my legacy on the world, but I guess it is. And they, they think it's funny and are happy for me. Uh, I love your, uh, your quote from the, uh, from the website, the perfect swimwear to make your parents question where they went wrong. <laughs> yeah. So where is this going? Where, where do you see this going, Taylor? Honestly, we don't know. Um, like I said, this week has been crazy. Um, just trying to a- answer everybody's questions and get orders filled and get more inventory ordered. Um, but we're going to try to keep doing more patterns. We're getting a new extra large size so that we can support our bigger bros and just have a fun time with it and see where it goes from there. Any thoughts of providing a matching mask when you sell these? That has come up, yeah. We've gotten a lot of feedback from the community on on funny things to add to it, and that's definitely an idea. And as soon as we get some time, that's going to be a top priority. Now, uh, getting back to the whole COVID thing, if people hadn't been locked in their homes and, and doing what they're doing, and, and like you said, really in need of a good laugh, do you think this would have taken off the way it did? <sighs> that That's honestly really tough to say. I, yeah. I, want, I want to hope yes, because I yeah. think it's something that's, fun and lighthearted and something that can just help people smile when they're at the beach. And I want to hope that we live in a world where people can just enjoy the levity of that. Um, What kind of man wears a brokini? Somebody who's bored of their boring board shorts. shorts. (laughs) There you go. Uh, So uh, what about female reaction to this? Uh, Again, we've had that on both sides. 
Um, some of them say like, I would never let my man wear that. And we have lots of, uh, women ordering it for their husbands. Uh, like we've had, we've had a couple fiancés order for their husbands for secret for the honeymoon, uh, all sorts of funny things like that. Oh yeah. I can imagine there's a few of these ordered without the other one knowing about it. Um, what about any, uh, retailers or any other large companies interested in this? Nobody's reached out to us yet. Um, but we'd be happy to entertain that if they did. Is this a first? Have you ever seen anything like this before? Or are you just refining an old design? I've certainly never been involved in anything <laughs> like this. Um, there was, I mean, when we were first looking at it, we one of our inspirations was like a wrestling leotard. And yeah. we got some of those, and they're just terrible for swimming. They parachute out, and they catch water. And we had the misfortune of finding out that they go quite see-through. So, uh, will there be different, uh, styles of these? Uh, obviously you're seeing different patterns, but will the shape, the, uh, the lines of these change in any way? Um, yeah, we have some ideas. We have some future ideas for now. I'm going to keep those a secret. Um, but we definitely are going to come out with different patterns and sizes and fully different products in the future. Well, uh, congratulations to you. Uh, um, what about media? People getting a hold of you? How how far has the how far has the reach been? It's been pretty crazy for somebody who's never had to do anything like this before. I've been basically nonstop on radio and TV interviews since Monday evening, um, and I've it, it's been an interesting ride. I've tanked a couple interviews, and I've had great times in other interviews, and I'm just trying to do the best I can and Chad's handling everything else basically. So what's next for the Brokini? Uh, for now we've ordered new stock um, and we're going to try to get as many people in the Brokini as we can and hope that they make other people laugh and they make themselves laugh and have a good time. And if people want a Brokini or to find out more about it, what do we do? Where do we go? You go to brokinis.com. And definitely explore the website because there's uh, lots of good, funny content on there. All right. Taylor Field has been with his co-founder of Brokini, uh, and they're taking off, uh, whether it's due to COVID-19 and people just needing a laugh or uh, they love the concept. Uh, it's basically a one-piece women's bathing suit. Well, it's not, but if you, to visualize it, with only one over-the-shoulder uh, piece to it. Taylor Field, co-founder of Brokinis. Taylor, good luck with this. Have a great day. You too. Bye. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on 900 CHML. This is the Scott Thompson Podcast, available on Apple Podcast and Google Podcast or wherever you get yours. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review so you don't miss a thing. I'm Scott Thompson, and thanks for listening.